Jesus began to show his disciples that he must undergo great suffering. From our psalm, I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What happens when your mind becomes your enemy? What happens when your mind becomes your enemy? In a beautiful essay, Sarah Clarkson describes her battle with mental illness, a psyche that she cannot control. Her imaginative and creative mind, which created so much beauty in her childhood, began to bombard her with uninterrupted images of explicit violence, perversion, and disaster. In her very words, what I saw was so real, evoking such a physical reaction of panic and such a perverse sense of shame that I became almost unable to cope with normal life. I barely slept. I withdrew from my plans for college. My sense of self disintegrated. My health broke. My mind, which was the most intimate of companions, had now become my enemy, and she was a formidable one. In her essay, she continues to write about how her Christian counselors and professional therapists affirmed that her mental illness was not her fault, and certainly it was not her choice. She also suggested that her fractured rebellious mind was her enemy, and in the parlance of professionals, something that needed to be beaten, beaten into submission. Yet one Sunday she came to church, and she heard Jesus' very words to love your enemy. And so she began to question, what does it mean to love your enemy, even if your enemy is your mind? She writes, loving my sick mind was unimaginable to me because the enemy language that I learned to describe my mind fit quite closely with the language of spiritual combat I often heard in church settings. I always heard that suffering was a foe. It was something to overcome, to be defeated. And I felt that I was doing something wrong. If I could just pray the right prayer or enact the correct number of spiritual disciplines or exist more victoriously, then my illness would retreat like a vanquished army in the face of a greater power. 
Yet, the promise of God's power at work in our lives, which is central in the gospel, which sometimes we have skewed to think that it's about opponents being smashed, illness mysteriously zapped, prosperous lives, and converting millions of people to our point of view is not something that Sarah experienced. Which led her to question, has God turned against me? Like Sarah, I think many of us struggle to conceive of God's power as anything other than brute force. Take, for example, Jeremiah in our first reading for today. Some scholars call this the painful prayer of the prophet. He asked God to bring down retribution on his persecutors amidst the insults and assaults. He continues, Why is my pain unceasing? My wounds incurable. Where are you, O oh God? In his pain, Jeremiah desires the God of conquest. And unfortunately, similarly, in our, in our day and age, we as human beings, in all aspects of our lives, desire technology and social media to point to a certain conception of victory and conquest. Sarah Clarkson continues to write in her essays, those sorts of powers are all fundamentally about increased control over ourselves and the world. And sometimes we as Christians unknowingly consecrate this power to assert that if we end up victorious in that battle, God is on our side. Well, our gospel today points to a different conception of power. A power that is not necessarily rooted in brute force, but the power of suffering. Jesus, the suffering servant who takes in the pathos of all humanity, the experience of rejection, unpopularity, physical torture, as fully God and fully human, shows us that the power of the cross resides in the reality of an empty tomb. Read in the gospel, for he must undergo great suffering and be killed. But the story doesn't end there, because on the third day he will be raised again. Christianity's understanding of suffering teaches that it's not the escape from suffering, an embodiment that leads to liberation. It is fully embracing suffering with the perspective of deep hope, where we will find God present with us, a God who travels with us in our deepest and darkest pains. 
This is very different from the Pali word, which was translated into Sanskrit and adopted by the Buddhists as dukkha. Christian suffering is embodied. It is with us, but it doesn't end there. For God travels with us in the deepest and darkest pains of our life. Sarah continues to write, The power of God is Jesus, the ultimate suffering servant, born simply to die for the healing of all people. In an essay recently that I read, I was reading an essay by um, Hans von Balthasar, and he wrote something that is poignant and that has stuck with me. He wrote that we discover that God's absolute power is identical with absolute self-giving. And absolute self-giving always lends itself to a form of suffering. For Christ comes not to destroy his enemies, remember, but to forgive them. Not to obliterate broken minds and hearts, but to bear and to heal them. Beloved, to be followers of Jesus the Christ means to accept. Accept the reality of suffering, for suffering is part and parcel of the human condition. The pathos of God is to experience this suffering. God is not distant solely. God does not turn away from our suffering. It is to be encountered and not escape from. For suffering leads to empathy. The very denial of ourself, the very denial of our ego state to counteract the narcissism that the world puts in front of us. To not embrace suffering is the contemporary stumbling block, is to be Peter. That's where Jesus' rebuke of Peter is a refutation of a power dynamic that seeks to escape from pain and suffering. And yet, Jesus, who speaks to all of us who desire to be his disciples, says, if you want to become my followers, the invitation is to conceive of power differently. If you believe that love is not selfish and about satisfying one's wanting desires, but about raising up and embracing, deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. For self-renunciation is not about self-preservation. And self-renunciation for the Christian believer, in the words of Michel de Chautal at St. Paul's Cathedral over 150 years ago, is about believing and following Jesus. Beloved, I recognize that many of us sitting here today many of us joining us online, we carry burdens and we suffer in one way or another. In Thoreau's words, 
we lead lives of quiet desperation. So perhaps in the midst of that, the invitation is for us to embrace that suffering, that desperation with the sense that God is with us through it all. Now, if you're in a stage in life that is without suffering, you have an invitation as well. Your invitation is to cultivate deeper sympathy, which leads to empathy, which can occur only by prayer, concern, and journeying with those who are encountering moments of darkness. Also, if you know of anyone who needs a caring ear or a listening heart, perhaps you can be that. Or if you feel inadequate to do so, connect them with one of our Stephen ministers or one of your clergy here at St. Anne's so that through you, all of us can point to a God who, in the words of the Apostle Paul today, invites our love to be genuine, a love that rejoices in hope, a love that is patient in suffering, that perseveres in and through prayer. May God strengthen us to carry out that mission.